We're kicking it off today as we continue to talk about jobs and conditions and why there's a lack of many younger people um, doing jobs that require some CPR certification. And we're going to kick the show off with Craig Munnock, who is with Safety First Winnipeg, talking about CPR training. Craig, thanks for doing this. How are you? Hi, I'm doing good. How busy are you these days? Uh, quite busy. Uh, teaching uh, courses. I've been out of town up north uh, doing a week-long 40-hour wilderness first aid course. And so that's uh, busier than usual, would you say, or this is what you're kind of accustomed? Uh, accustomed to this. i got a couple more coming up. Right. As well as a standard first aid course, which is a two-day course, and a basic first aid, which used to be called emergency first aid. That's a, a one-day course. Right. So, and that's what we're kind of touching on today. We're doing a lot of stuff around stories like lifeguards and other things that um, maybe positions aren't being filled of other summer jobs because they don't have CPR certification. Are you noticing that, that, that not as many people are trying to get certified or, or just as many are? Just as many are. It's actually more than in the past. Uh, I think people are realizing that they need the first aid CPR training, but there always is a high peak and a low, low flow for the requirements uh, or people coming for the training requirements. And how much of the people coming for training are doing it for specific jobs? I'd say about 90%. 90%. And is that new jobs they're taking on or is this stuff that just needs to be, like a lot of people have to remain certified and things like that? Some have to remain certified. There's some that have been, I found uh, recently somebody that's like 25 years past since their last course. They're supposed to be redone every three years. Oh wow! So, so they've been a little lax on that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a common occurrence. Right. So, um, what are the length of these courses in general? And I imagine there's some some different ones for that. But if somebody needed a summer job where they needed CPR certification, what is the average time and, and involvement in in getting your certification? Well, the basic first aid includes the CPR level C and AED training. It's an eight hour course. Uh, people that are working further out or maybe in a more challenging situation would possibly need a standard first aid course, which is a 16 hour course. That's two days. And then I've also got people doing a 20 hour remote first aid course as well as a 40 hour wilderness first aid course because they're heading out on trips out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Can you maybe explain to us and myself, uh, our listeners, um, what those courses are like the eight hour course, what that entails compared to the 40, uh, hour outdoor one? Well, the, uh, the eight hour course is basically all done in classroom and there's practical skills as well as uh, PowerPoint presentation videos and then CPR, the mannequins for the adult mannequins and the infant mannequins as well as use of an AED on uh, the adult mannequins. Right. Learning how to use AEDs. Right. And the uh, the 40-hour course, well, that's uh, basically a standard first aid course combined with outdoor uh, first aid skills. And the idea is that at least 50% of the course is done outside. Rain, sun, snow, whatever. Right. So uh- just based on the time of year you take the course. Right, for sure. And um, how many students need to certify due to a new job, would you say, when it comes to maybe a younger generation or, or students trying to get that summer job? I've had a fair number of uh, students coming through that are going to be working, for example, at waiting pools. They come in and do a CPR level C, which is a about a six-hour course. Okay. As opposed to an eight-hour day. And when you say you have some coming in, are the classes full? And how, many, how much does it take to fill a class? 
the class of one instructor can be up to 12, sorry, 18 people for the uh, CPRL A, C, the basic first aid and standard first aid. The wilderness remote first aid courses are a maximum of 12 people. Right. Uh, what's the cost of a course for a student that's trying to get certified? Uh, depends where you go. Some uh, facilities are charging uh, $85 plus uh, GST for the uh, one-day course. Uh, CPR level C would be about $65 plus GST. And then the two-day standard first aid course would be about 135 plus GST. Right. Um, and does anybody cover that? Like you mentioned a waiting pool or say they're going to work as a lifeguard for the city of Winnipeg. Does is that cost come out of their pocket or does the, the city cover that or how does it work? It depends who they work for. Uh, some employers will ask for a receipt and they'll uh, refund the person for the funds that they spent. So I hand out receipts when I teach courses. Right. And then they can get reimbursed, but it just depends on who, who their employer is going to be, I guess. Yes. And so, then there's others that are out looking for work that will come and take a course because they want to get a job. And they'll take, a, at minimum, a basic first aid course, an eight-hour course. Right. Craig, do you have anybody just coming to take the CPR course in general just because it's a good idea? Uh, sometimes. Or there's been a situation in the family where they realized that they have needed it and they didn't have it. And... Uh, they look back and think, you know, if I'd only had that, maybe something would have been different. Right. Because we talk about this a lot. Like like when sw- swimming lesson registration comes around, I'm a big believer that that should be part of a curriculum in schools and every student in Manitoba should learn how to swim. I- I'm wondering, I mean, obviously I would think that you would feel the-, the same for a CPR course and it's just general good knowledge that we should be teaching everybody. Yes. Well, even uh, even the first aid program would be a good idea to have in the schools. There are other people that have come from other countries where it's just standard, where part of the curriculum is, is first aid training for a couple of days in their graduation period to, to finish the schooling. Do you know which countries those are? Um, I've had some come from Ukraine, some from Poland. So basically Europe, a lot of countries over in Europe, it's it's part of the school curriculum. Right. And I, I can't remember for when I was taking swimming lessons. It's been so long, Greg, Craig, since I was a kid. But um, when I was taking swimming lessons, or where, but I remember being taught CPR in school or in a science class or something. And, and I'm not sure if, if schools do that anymore. Do you? They do, but uh, there's no certification. A lot of times the instructor will teach with mannequins and they don't really blow into the mannequins. It's, in today's day, um, you have an AED, a first aid kit, there's a face mask or face shield with the unit, so there's no reason not to blow into the person. But uh, as I put it to students when I teach, nine times out of ten, you're doing CPR on somebody who is friend or family, so you're not really worried about a mask. Right, like yeah. Me. Whereas, you know, if it's, for example, your child, you're going to be doing compressions at a rate of 30 compressions to two breaths, and the rate of 100 to 120 compressions, now that's a big change as well. The average we're shooting for is 110 compressions in a minute, right? Which is a lot faster than it used to be. And and I would think, Craig, that the goal is to get certified and to have this knowledge, but to never have to use it. But I would also think you probably had a number of students over the years that have have told you I did have to use it and it worked. Yes, yes, I have. As a matter of fact, I've had students in the past oh four months, five months, where one came through and she was working out at a gym overexerted herself, collapsed, and the biggest challenge was nobody wanted to do anything, and you got to get that started in the first three to five minutes for the best results. 
and she almost didn't make it. So finally somebody stepped in and started CPR. But the big challenge is nobody wanted to touch her chest because of concerns. Right. So eventually they, they worked around that. They started the CPR on her, and they got the defibrillator off the wall and hooked it up, and they managed to reset her heart. It doesn't restart the heart. It resets it. Right. And uh, she managed to survive, and she was in my class. And when she uh, completed the course, she's quite happy. Right. So she came in after that and, and said that, you know, she wants to be one of those people that, having gone through that, is more than willing to help. Yes. Yes. Yeah. How much of the, you know, you bring up a, an interesting point, Craig, of not just the pandemic, but just in general of touching a stranger in ways to perform CPR. I would think times have changed around the, the willingness to even do that. Yeah, there are some people that are concerned. Uh, for years, I've been handing out gloves for people to use in class. You get gloves with every first aid kit. You get gloves with uh, the AEDs when you have them. So having a pair of gloves on hand is not bad. It's a good idea, as a matter of fact. Um, a pocket face mask or face shield, if you have that. Especially the other challenge today is the uh, opioids. Right. And how so? So. Well, there are naloxone kits, so if somebody were to take a Red Cross uh, opioid course online to the Canadian Red Cross, once they've completed that, they've got the information that guides them on how to deal with that, and they also get a free nasal naloxone kit with two nasal injectors. Right. You know, this is fascinating to me, Craig. I never thought of this when we were booking you on the show, but it's a whole new new topic of, I don't know how long you've been doing this, but as long as you have been doing it, I would presume the, the actual practice of CPR has changed immensely. Well, it has. It has drastically. Uh, the rate, the ratios, we used to have a whole different set of ratios. Now it's all basically one, 30 and two. Yeah. 32. If you don't have a face shield, you don't feel comfortable putting your mouth on somebody, compression zone, the CPR is better than no CPR. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of changes. Right. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, if anybody's listening to this and needs a certification or just wants to take the course or one of the courses, how do they get a hold of you? Well, they can get a hold of me, uh, leave a message on my cell at uh, 204-781-3587 or look for safety first on the uh, internet. I also come up as C-K-M-U-N-N-O-C at gmail.com. Okay. And I'm willing to travel. I've, I just finished doing a course six hours north last week right. for the uh, wilderness course. And I've traveled to BC in the past with the military and uh, even and Ontario and uh, yeah. Oh, she go all over. Um, finally, just to wrap up, Craig, so basically in the general topic of needing this certification for a kind of job, you, you don't see any kind of slowdown from people w- willingness to do it to for employment? No. Wow, great insight, Craig. I really appreciate your time and your insight for this. Thanks for doing it and all the best to you. I know you got a course to get to, so I appreciate you squeezing us in. Yeah, I do. Well, thank you for calling. And welcome back to the program. As I said, we're going to get a more in-depth forecast, talk about this haze, and find out why it's a little chillier today, even though it's uh, 16 right now, supposed to be up to 25, with Scott Keller, President and Chief Scientist at WeatherLogic. Scott, thanks for joining us today. How are you? 
I'm well, Jim. How are you? I'm good, and I'm interested by this weather. When I left today, and I'm like, it's a little chilly out today, but it doesn't look chilly. Uh, why is that a little cooler today? Well, it does have to do with the smoke. Uh, last night, people probably noticed that temperatures cooled off pretty quick in the evening. And then overnight, a large area of cloud cover formed just off to our north and east. And then overnight, with um, the cooling temperatures, we saw um, that colder air being uh, blown from under that cloud deck into southern Manitoba. And so today, the clouds that are to our north and east are slowly dissipating. But because those areas haven't heated up much, we're seeing cold air flowing in from there. And that's keeping temperatures down, along with the fact that there's still a bit of smoke uh, in the air, as people can probably tell. And that's also keeping sunlight a little bit weaker than it otherwise would be. Right. So the, the haze is playing a part in it, but it's mostly just because of the, the weather, the temperature that we're having. Yeah, right. So when you have a wind like today that's coming from the northeast, if that air is coming from a colder region, that even though it's sunny in, in the Winnipeg area, that colder air that's coming in continues to reinforce the cooler conditions, even though the sun is out here. Interesting for sure. So what's the forecast for this week? And then we'll get into the overall summer because it sounds like these wildfires aren't, aren't you know, going to go anywhere, especially in the next month. That This could be a summer where we're dealing with haze affecting a lot of our temperatures. Well, it could be. It's, it's very difficult to predict smoke because it has to do with how much rain we see falling across the boreal forest this summer. And right now we're seeing a strong system in Alberta bringing them some rain. So that will help with the fires there. But there have been other fires in parts of Saskatchewan. And we're even starting to see some burn bans pop up in Manitoba. So it ends up being a bit of a whack-a-mole game where you get rain putting out some fires. But then other parts of the prairies are still dry and some fires start there. So unless we see a pattern where we get a lot of precipitation across the entire forest, we'll probably continue to see wildfire issues throughout the summer. Yeah, that's interesting as well. Um, what is the forecast for the rest of this week? And, and we talked about tomorrow and into Friday and not touching 30. Uh, is that normal for this year? And, and what is affecting that? Well, the normal high right about now is kind of in the mid-20s. So today is definitely cooler than normal. But lately, uh, well, for most of this week, I guess you could say it's been fairly close to normal. As we get later in the week, tomorrow will be a bit warmer. Uh, We're going to start to see the upper-level wind shift to push some of the smoke out of the way. And so um, that should help things warm up a little more tomorrow compared to today. Friday, there's a chance of rain with more cloud cover, so it'll be another cooler day. Uh, And then as we get into the weekend, temperatures start to rebound, and we should see a warming trend from this weekend into early next week. We do, however, see the potential for more weather system moving across the prairies starting next week. So while we should see some hotter temperatures, There'll also be more ups and downs and even the potential for more thunderstorms as we start to see those systems move off the Pacific and then across the prairies, bringing that potential for active weather. I was going to ask you, Scott, I'm accustomed, I think we all are here in Manitoba, to some thunderstorms. Uh, I'm not sure this many this soon, and and you said more on the way. Is that normal? Well, this season has started off pretty active. A lot of people will recall that hailstorm that moved through uh, Winnipeg and other parts of Manitoba back in May. That was a bit early compared to what we'd normally expect. And then earlier in June, we sat under that really hot, humid air mass for a bunch of days in a row, and there were thunderstorms almost every day. I I had eight in a row where I live, which is a bit unusual. 
Um, but the thing about those storms we saw in early June is that they generally weren't that strong. They were mostly just rain producers. The odd one did get a little stronger, but there wasn't a lot of wind in the upper atmosphere to organize the storms into stronger uh, and more severe structures. But with this change in the pattern coming up, we might see a stronger jet stream aloft, and that combined with the hotter and more humid weather that will likely um, be found in conjunction with that could end up producing uh, even stronger storms. Really appreciate the insight, Scott. And as long as you can hold things off for bomber home games, I think even you would appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed the home <laughs> opener, and uh, hopefully we'll have good weather for those games at least. Yeah, no kidding, for sure. Hey, really appreciate the time and the insight, especially with this kind of haze that we're experiencing more so than normal um, and how it is affecting our weather and our temperatures. Good insight, Scott. As always, appreciate it. You're welcome. Anytime. This is for you, Jeff Braun. My favorite song. I bet. This is your life story, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You couldn't oh make God. it as a... What, man? What? Yes. As a man? <laughs> as a, have you seen it? the Chad Kruger uh, picture we have out in the newsroom? I, I have, yes. I have nightmares about that thing on a daily basis. You do, eh? He's yeah. just holding up a photograph of Tristan Field Jones. <laughs> Don't let, don't let that frighten you. Let that free you. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. It's so weird. <laughs> we do have a Chad Kruger picture of the video photograph, and he's holding it up, and it's a picture of Tristan Field Jones in it. And that is how the news world works here at 680 CGOB. It all comes back to Chad Kruger and Tristan Field Jones and Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun, oh. who joins me now. Scotty, are you going to see you there Tuesday night? Huh? Say that again. We're going to see you there Tuesday night at Candle Life Center with Nickelback? No, no, you're not. Oh, no, you must I'm you must be very up. busy. You must, something must have come up. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I burned those tickets. Uh, yeah, exactly. How yeah. dare you? Well, I'll let you know how it goes. I'll tell you what. I'll be front and center sure. there, bringing out the yeah. Alberta in me. Um, uh, we're wondering who all will be at Canada Life Center, not only this summer, but uh, this fall. You got a great piece out in the Winnipeg Sun where um, I don't want to speak for you, but uh, kind of a, a roll of the eyes and you kind of had it like just call it what it is with the Jets right now. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, it's not even that. Yeah, yeah, it, part of it is that, right? And part of it is just, you know, call it what it is or, or you know, let somebody know what what it is. But at the end of the day, like, I mean, you know, we're arguing over these R words, right? It's, 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 is it a retool? Is it a rebuild? Is it a whatever? I mean, at the end of the day, I think what the Jets need to do is, is rebuild a little bit because you need to change certain parts of this team. And, 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 and so if you're going to have a major kind of core shake up or whatever you want to you know refer to that as i mean to me that's a bit of a rebuilding and and to me part of the rebuilding and i think you know we would agree is that you know part of the culture of this team part of the leadership of this team needs to be rebuilt it needs to be either transferred over to you know some of the guys that we that we've all talked about over the years or the josh morrissey the yielers the kyle connors the guys that are signed here long term you know the guys that are that that, that are going to be here for a while you know those are are, are the next leaders of this team. And, and, and to me, you know, part of this is, 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 you know, rebuilding that leadership core. Um, so we don't have to sit here and say, well, rebuild is, you know, tear it straight to the studs and, and then, then rebuild. I, I don't think it has to be that. And I, I don't expect it to be that. I mean, the Jets have some good players 
you know, I just mentioned a few of them there that are, that are locked up long-term on this team. So you're not going to do a full rebuild here, but I, I think the word rebuild is just used in a, it's just used so loosely and, and people have so almost a fear of it. Let's say, uh, I, I don't think that necessarily has to be the case. I mean, you can look at a rebuild in a bunch of different ways and it doesn't have to be, you know, that tank for, you know, Connor Bedard type thing that we saw this year with, or, you know, teams that have kind of, you know, gone into that mode. I don't think the jets are there yet on that. Um, but I, I do think there is a rebuilding that needs to happen here. Um, it, it's just a little different than what you know most people think about it. Yeah, and it's a great piece because you bring up some valid points and some different angles of what's going on. And you're right, we can call it what you want it, but I, I think change is coming. But here's what I wanted to ask you about, Scott, because I've I mm-hmm. been pounding this drum for a couple of weeks now. I just I don't have a better way to equate it to some of our listeners or, or, or Jets fans, that other than to say you're you're not you know trying you're not going to tr- sell beachfront property in Hawaii. Um, for empty land in Inuvik, no, if I, no um, uh, offense to Inuvik. I'm trying to say is like you're going to get a return here. So I'm wondering, just PLD or Pierre-Luc Dubois and Connor Hellbuck itself, how many players or assets do you think is coming back in two of those deals? Uh, yeah, a fair number. I mean, I, I, the, the Pierre-Luc Dubois one is the one that would probably worry me more because, you know, even the fact that, you know, you, you're talking about a guy who, Oh, he's willing to work with five or six teams or list five or six teams or whatever, you know, that, that, that still limits, you know, teams. And, 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 you know, if once you get down to five or six, well, let's say two or three are really interested, like five or six are just the teams that he names. Um, that doesn't mean that there's five or six teams. Those five or six teams are, are maybe interested in, in Dubois long-term. So I think there might be a cap on what you might get back you know, a cap within reason. Like, you know, I don't think you're giving them away for a first and a third or something like that either. I think you're looking for, you know, especially a couple of roster players. And I think with a guy like Dubois, you're hoping that you're trying to leverage a team like a, like a Boston or an LA who has to get rid of, let's say a cap player like Victor Arvidsson or something like that, where you could, you could bring a guy like that back in a deal because of, of cap implications for that Los Angeles Kings you know, for instance, and, and you could still have a player, but I think you're looking for a mix here because I, I think that's the reality. I think the reality at the end of the day is, you know, a team that wants Connor Hellebuck isn't going to be giving you a Connor Hellebuck in return. Right. I mean, because other, why would they, I mean, I, I, teams that want guys like this and we've heard the names of New York and, 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 and New Jersey and all that. I mean, these teams are looking to win Stanley cups and they're looking for that piece. So, what what kind of pieces are they looking at bringing uh, at, at 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 send, shipping out? Right? I mean, you know, you're not getting Jack Hughes from the New York Jersey Devils, right? I mean, but could you get you know yes for Brad? Could you get one of their young goaltenders? Maybe. Um, but I mean, if you go to the LA route, are you looking at a Quinton Byfield? Are the LA Kings even looking at? Or are you getting a Gabe Velarde and a Sean Dursey and 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 maybe a first round pick or a prospect or something like that? Like it's really hard to put a kind of a, a a number on what you can get because we've so rarely seen, especially with a, a, a goalie of Connor Hellebuck's caliber. Like, you know, you look at, at the Liberal Rongo trade, and we're, we're coming up on nearly 20 years since that one was made. And it was, I, I, don't, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it was literally for a bag of pucks at the time. Yeah. Well, in, in, in hindsight, right? Um, but you look at the Ryan Miller trade at the trade deadline uh, about almost 10 years ago now from Buffalo to St. Louis and, and Buffalo 
got you know a, a large number of, of players and picks in that deal. So it, 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 it's it's interesting. I, I I don't know where that that kind of threshold is, like how many. But I think if you're the Jets, I mean, if you're if 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 you're really wanting to be competitive next year, especially with a guy like Hellebuck, you've got to find a team that you have some leverage with in terms of their cap space that might need to move out a roster player to make it work. But you also got to find a roster player that's going to work in Winnipeg yeah. and somebody that you want. And so that that's, it's a tough, I mean, you know, I, I, I have no, um, it, 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 this is a tough, it, it's a tough place to be for, for Kevin Shovel day off um, because you, you really need to find value here and also have to kind of straddle this line of trying to get, the right amount of roster players that you want, if you want to continue to be competitive on the ice without, you know, maybe moving more into that kind of getting young, getting futures and that sort of thing. When do you think we start hearing some moves? Yeah, it's got to be in the next couple of weeks. I mean, I mean, that's such an easy answer, but I, I think, I think you're going to hear something before the draft, because I think, you know, you want to probably get something done with Dubois for, for sure before the draft. Um, or at the draft, right? Um, with Hellebuck, I mean, you probably have a little bit more time, but here's the thing, right? Like, I mean, this is the thing. If you're going to get a draft pick or two back um, somewhere along the line, if you're going to get a first-round pick for one of these two players, you might want it in this draft. I mean, it, it is a deep draft, but, you know, for, from some of the things that I've read and, 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 and people I've talked to, I mean, there's a bit of a drop-off in that first round after, you know, the first eight or nine picks. So, I mean, are you going to get into the top 10? I'm not entirely sure anybody's giving up on those picks right now. So, but at the same time, I think, you know, the off season and, and, and now for sure, like in the next little while now that the season's over, um, you know, this is the best time to get return on assets, right? You go to the trade deadline or whatever, you got to deal with salary caps and all those types of things. Not that you don't have to deal with that now, um, but the off season mode has the extra 10% and, and there's just better ways that teams can plan um, their cap space and that sort of thing. So, but the draft, I mean, this is, you know, obviously where the jets have, have, have tried to kind of, you know, tried to make their, make their uh, team better um, over the years. I um, mean, you know, we've all talked about draft and develop. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't, and, and I wouldn't be surprised really with the season over now. Um, if we don't start here and, you know, some picking up because, you know, teams are you know starting to now, the season's over. You're not trying to, you know, make a trade during the cup final. You know how we yeah. talked about, you know, they don't want to do that and take the, the, the shine and the luster off of, of the cup final. So that, now that's over. I think you start, you know, it starts ramping up over the next couple of weeks, but I, I think we're going to see some movement at the draft, if not before. it. And the final one for you is just, um, I, I wonder if there's a shift in the organization, not just because of this and the contracts and the different players they're bringing in, but, um, do they, do they sort of like they've drafted so well f- and, f- and for skill, um, right. Do you think there's a shift? Cause I do believe that managements can change and what they see. And, and from, from, we saw that when Maurice came in after the Anaheim series and they sort of said, that's when we knew the NHL was going to be super fast. Yeah. And so they didn't resign some guys. They'd made some moves because they just went Ehlers, Connor. Like they knew that speed was where the NHL was going, not big and heavy. I'm wondering if the brass sort of sits here now and goes, you know what? It, it's it's hard to keep these elite guys, no matter who they are. Do we shift to a point of we're we're not going to stop drafting skill, but we're going to start drafting you know guys who work? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think I, I well, 
here's the thing. I think if you're a Jets fan, you hope that's the case. You hope that that lessons have been learned here because what you've done up till now through 12 years has, let's not, you know, we can't sit here and say it's been a complete failure because they, they, they've, they've drafted a lot of good players and a lot of those good players are in the lineup. Yeah. They've also lost a lot of their good players that they've, they've drafted over the years. The true is the line A's. Um, guys like that, that, that have moved on the Andrew Cobbs that have turned into good players and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, I, I think part of it, 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 you're right. I mean, I think you have to have draft players. I don't want to say more on character than that. I mean, even character is a weird word, but you know, you, you want to try and find players. I, I think, yeah, maybe that's the right term that you use is that, you know, you just that, that worked or that are willing, but you, it's hard you know, at, at 17, 18 years old, when these guys are in their draft years to kind of understand what they're going to be like in six, seven years yeah. when they're a UFA. Like, you know, I get that, but you know, you almost want to find guys that are, you know, I don't know, try and figure out how to find a guy like Nino Niederreiter who, who, who sees past the reputation of Winnipeg and, 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 and wants to be here. Right. Like there's, there's guys like that, you know, and even and when he has a bad game that. and sorry, Scott, but guys like that yeah. in the ilk of not just liking it here, I, I that's right. like, that's a part of it, but guys that just, even when he's having a bad game, he's working hard. Like, that's what yeah. I think. No disrespect to the skill, but there's some nights off here that I think fans will pay to watch Lowry and Nita Ryder work their tails off night in, night out, regardless of the score, than they would to watch some high-skilled players maybe not show up in a game five again. Yeah, 100%. I, I totally agree with that. Like, I think I think what you have to do is kind of embrace what Winnipeg is. It's a blue-collar town, right? If you look at the way the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup a few years ago, it, it was it was a blue collar team in the sense that they didn't really have this true kind of superstar player on the team, but they had the right mix of guys that really you know busted their butts up and down the ice. And 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 I think you saw that a little bit with Florida in this playoffs, where you just really had a lot of guys really committed to the cause. And I think you know part of what's gone wrong here in Winnipeg is that you know the, when you have just way too much skill at times, a lot of those guys want to you know they want that that uh what do you i don't know they want to rely on the skill or whatever they they want the skill to do it but but, and yeah and they want to do it themselves because that's what they've always done right but you 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 gotta look at you just look at a vegas team right and i'm not just saying these guys because they're manitobans but like the keegan colasars and and the brett howdens and and the guys that really just kind of embraced being in those roles those depth roles and stuff like that you got to get some of those guys too. And they, you know, that's, that's part of the challenge with this Jets team is, you know, again, I'm talking about rebuilding and retooling, whatever. I think it, it's, it's rebuilding the way or revamping the way that you think about a team and looking at some of these teams that have, have, have had obviously experienced success with Vegas. You look at a Vegas team like that, just like, you know, their defense, it's big, but it's not just big. It's big and they can move. I think the, the the term I heard was dancing bears, right? They're they're able to move. It's not just you know that they're they're big dudes and and that's all it is. They're big, they're tough, they're physical, but they they can also play with speed. You know, I think th- there's something to be said about that still in the NHL. I think yeah. we've seen that all the time, and I think that's how it's not just defense, though, right? It, it's just having that mix of skill, but also that that grind too, and having. You know, if you can find guys who can do both of those, things. I know. I know you hate the rewords, but the the, the uh, what was the last one you just used there? I like that. The revamp. The revamp, oh, revamp. is a great yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. there's so many of these. That's words. a great one. I, I like that, Scott. It's a great article. Always appreciate your time and in, appreciate, appreciate your time and insight. And I know as the summer un- unravels, we'll have you back. So thanks for doing this.
Yeah, I appreciate it, Jim. Well, Once you. again, his article is up at winnipegsun.com and on his Twitter as well. Scott Billick, great follow as well. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.